Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Eat Half, Walk Double. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. This show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Professional photographer, entrepreneur, coffee connoisseur, and gravelist, Joe Vijay joins the podcast. In the New England endurance sports world, he's known for capturing iconic and memorable images. If you know a mountain, ultra, or trail runner in the Northeast, it's likely their profile picture is Joe's work. His ability to tell a story through photography is legendary. It's easy to see why his services are in such high demand. Our conversation centers around why the endurance racing community is so important to him, as well as his own personal fitness journey. He's really a fascinating guest. So here he is, Joe Vijay. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm really thankful that you uh, you agreed to be on the show. Um, you and I have the opportunity to uh, cross paths, uh, fortunately, quite often uh, during a typical calendar year, meaning uh, uh, when there is a full race calendar, uh, you and I uh, will cross paths uh, several times um, uh, during a typical full race calendar year. But the last couple of years have not been typical full calendar years. And so uh, while you and I, you know, we, we do have the opportunity to communicate, we don't always have the opportunity to, uh, to see each other and even less frequently have an opportunity to have a, a detailed and in-depth conversation. Um, look, I, we really have to start uh, with getting the elephant out of the room first. Okay? And, that, and that is, why is your last name so hard to pronounce? <laughs> is it Viger? Is, <laughs> is it Viger? Is it Vijay? Why is it that I hear your name pronounced at least a half dozen different ways? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I thought you might ask me this question. Um, <laughs> and it's actually very simple. Uh, if you ever had French in high school, there's a verb that ends in ER that are conjugated based on gender and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, uh, so M-A-N-G-E-R is the verb to eat in French, and it's pronounced manger. There you go. V-I-G-E-R. V-I-G-E-R. So, but have, it's yeah. been twisted around, like in my hometown, they say V-G. And I never could figure out why. And I, I was like in my mid-20s, I went to Montreal, and I checked into a hotel, and the guy said, oh, Monsieur Vigier, welcome to the Chateau de Matin. And I was like, huh, that's how you say my name. That makes sense. <laughs> and I started saying it that way so I could explain it to people just as I did to you. But it's a car crash. Like uh, if people hear my name, sometimes I get written like V-I-J-I, <laughs> like I'm Indian, you know, and, and it's really all over the place. <laughs> or people well, attribute that- a name that they know that they must be a misspelling. So like Vigu, V-I-G-U-E, they'll write that because they figure, oh, it's got to be that. So yeah. But in I was Montreal, having this conversation with like uh, Smith. In the phone yeah, I was having this everywhere. conversation with Karen about the pronunciation, and uh, she said, "Well, it, I mean, it has to be a French derivation." And I said, "Well, yes." I said, "But you know, I, I actually did a little research, and I think the name is actually originally like Scottish Irish, um, but clearly the way that Joe pronounces it, there must be some." 
French Canadian lineage to his family tree. Is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, my mother's father came from Canada. Um, my father's grandfather and grandmother came from Canada. Um, so yeah, it's only a couple generations back. Although strangely, my family didn't really have much connection to that, that heritage. Like I don't know any relatives in Canada or anything like that. Um, I know people in my hometown who grew up speaking French, but we didn't, my parents did to each other. So they, we didn't know what they were saying, but, um, and they, and they liked it that way, I think. So, uh, yeah, we, we weren't taught to speak French as kids. My mom said you'd sound like a dumb Canuck if you learned to speak French as a kid. So. <laughs> but you, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you do enjoy some, uh, some French Canadian heritage in that, uh, like for instance, I know you make and love to eat meat pies. I mean, that is, that oh, yeah? is uniquely French Canadian. No, absolutely. You know, I grew up in a very French Canadian place and, and certainly my, my family, you know, was all French Canadian and most of my friends were French Canadian growing up. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I like that, you know, I've gone to Montreal with my kids and we had a good time seeing the street that's named VJ and the square and the hotel and all these things called VJ. Uh, and I think it's it's a neat thing. Now, when 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 you say where you where you grew up, uh, for for the listener, uh, you grew up you grew up in the in the North Country of New Hampshire, correct? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Berlin, New Hampshire. And um, there, there's a strong French Canadian influence uh, in the North Country of New Hampshire. Yes, fair to say. Yeah, it's fair to say. That might even be an understatement. <laughs> yeah, in Berlin in particular, there's a lot of. A lot of French Canadian folks that came there to work in the paper mill and log logwood and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, about uh, your your current profession um, as a as a self employed entrepreneur. But I want to set it up this way because um, I, I feel like I need to call you out on a social media post uh, that you that, that that you recently posted. Um, which by the way, it resonated with me and I actually mm -hmm. took note of it and thought, you know, this would, this would be something really cool to talk about. So recently you shared a, a meme on social media and this meme was two pie charts. Uh, the top pie chart was titled, uh, how we are taught to measure success. And, and basically that pie chart was, was equally divided into two slices. One slice was, was titled salary and the other slice was titled job, uh, job title. The bottom pie chart uh, was labeled a better measure. And, and this time, uh, the pie chart was divided into six pieces with salary and job title really only constituting about 10% of the pie, with the other roughly 90% of the pie, including mental health, physical health, liking what you do in free time. So your comment on that post was just simply, this is me. Mm -hmm. Just for clarification, you were talking about the better measure chart, correct? Well, I, you know, I, I think on some level I could have added a, a an arrow from the top pie chart to the bottom pie chart. Then it really would have been me because, yeah, I think I, even as a, in school, like I always felt like you do A to get to B to get to C to get to D and D is where you want to be. So, you, you know, there's a plan and you do things in steps and, you, and everything builds on each other and you don't do things that don't build on each other and get you where you want to be. And, you know, my first career was in behavioral health and I had a management job within three years in that in that career which I was super young for that uh, younger than anybody else in the management team um, 
And it's that kind of thinking that got me there. And, you know, then my second larger career was working in software and do, running sales and marketing teams for 10 years in that role. And, uh, and so it was always kind of ending up in management. And it was very much that thinking that job title and salary were goals, you know, the things that you work towards and things that on some level defined you. And what I learned, you know, well, I really enjoyed many aspects of being a, a VP of software of a software company that oversaw sales and marketing. I, I also really learned that it, it wasn't my core being. It, it twisted me in ways that weren't natural for me. And, you know, I've really come to believe that people are much happier when they don't have to twist in those ways. And so that migration from pie chart A to pie chart B is, is that story of what I do today versus what I used to do in many, many ways. And, and the pie chart in the second version really shakes out to be a, very much how my life is structured now. Did you, and, and I want to talk much more about uh, what you are currently doing and how what you're currently doing is aligned with that bottom pie chart, which, which really emphasizes mental health, physical health, liking what you do in free time. Did, did, did you experience when you were in these, uh, these, these VP positions or these management positions in which you were chasing salary and job title, did you find that your mental health or your physical health um, suffered, uh, in part as a, as a consequence of the, um, of the obligations and responsibilities that were associated with, with, with that kind of, uh, career, uh, trajectory? Yeah. You know, I, those are hard positions. Um, I think my physical health probably suffered more than my mental health. I'm, I'm pretty good with managing stress. I'm not by nature an anxious person. A pretty good work ethic, um, and there are a lot of elements of the job I did enjoy, even though there are many elements of the job that were challenging to me and maybe not part of me as a core in my core. Uh, so I think the physical health is what probably took the biggest hit. You know, I was on a plane thirty to fifty thousand miles a year for ten years uh, or more, and, and that's not good for anybody. Some people are better at managing that than others, but I wasn't good at managing that from a physical health standpoint at all. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think that was the, the harder part for me in the mental health side. Certainly I was stressed and, and it was hard and it, it made me an unhappy person at times uh, because I just did things I didn't want to be doing or mm. had pressure I didn't want to be enduring, you know, reporting to boards, things like that. I mean, were, were, were there any manifestations of a decline in physical health that you're, you're willing to share and talk about uh, during, during that time? Like, oh, like yeah, in other words, of course. Uh, how, how, did, how did your physical health um suffer as a as a consequence of 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 that of, of the pursuit of those two things yeah you know and it you know it was job but it was other things too like i, I um i got a vp title got married and had a kid and built a house in a two-year time span so like all those things coming together was a big weight and you know i stopped doing a lot of things that i used to do uh you know i used to ride bikes a lot and at a mountain bike in the late 80s and I used to ride all the time and I didn't ride anymore. I used to backcountry ski, I didn't do that anymore. I used to paddle boats, I didn't do that anymore. And I, I worked and you know, it was kind of that period in life where I told myself, well, you're gonna put your head down, you're gonna work, you're gonna achieve something with your family. Um, and, and then you can step back. 
but the reality is you never get to that point. You're always chasing something, you know, and, and you never have that year that you think you're going to have with a sales number that's going to get you this bonus that will allow you to sit back and go, phew, that was awesome. Let's sit on a boat. That just doesn't happen that way. It never does. And so um, it, as a result, you know, I lost, I gained a lot of weight. Um, I, I didn't feel great physically. I wasn't as active and everything that goes along with that. Um, you know, there's, there was a time and as you know, I, in the last couple of years, I've lost a lot of weight. And uh, there was a time just before that where I was at the Sea Dogs game with my kids. And, you know, if you're you're in a seat and there's a couple of seats in front of you that are empty and you want to go steal them, you just step over to the to the bench below and, and do that. Right. And I went to do that. And I practically went flying. And like I've skied my whole life. I used to skateboard as a kid. I had pretty good balance and I had no balance. And, and it really struck me that man and and for a while i thought well it's just because you're 50 something you know or whatever age i was at the time you're late 40s you're just getting old but what i came to realize it was i was weak <laughs> is what the problem was <laughs> it wasn't and I, I didn't have the ability to balance myself like i did when i was more active so you know there, there's a bunch of manifestations of it but but those are or that's a very concrete one you know and a, a moment where it's like oh you should be able to balance yourself making this little maneuver jump in these seats was that um, was that experience um, sort of a sort of a reckoning that um, that things needed to change for you or that you wanted things to change? In other words, you know, go from, as we described, the, the, the top chart with salary and job title as yeah. the pursuit to the bottom pie chart that really valued and emphasized mental health, physical health, liking what you do in free time. Was was that the reckoning, Joe, or 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 when was the reckoning? Uh, when when did it become apparent to you that the way that you were heading um, was likely not going to end well? Uh, I guess for for lack of a better way to describe yeah. it, um, that that you know your life wasn't going in the direction that was that was satisfying to you. Um, yeah. So yeah, it wasn't exactly as you posed the question. I, I didn't really have that rock bottom, you know, moment that you hear people who have addiction have, things like that. It was more a bunch of things happened in my life and I think led me to a place where I kind of looked at things differently. I, you know, I lost my parents as a younger person um, in a period of years. I that were pretty close together. I, I lost a couple of relationships. I um lost my sister who I was very close to she passed away at 56 um and I had young kids so you look at your kids every day and that makes you take stock in life and and then um you know I just physically I wasn't feeling well uh, just because I was heavy and I, I wasn't active and it hurt when I was and it really hurt and that was no fun and and then you know you look around and work-wise I had worked for a company for almost 20 years and I left that company to go work for another company in the hopes of getting off the road and it wasn't a good fit and I ended up not being there anymore and so then I was faced with a decision you know what am I going to do do I go try and get a corporate job do I get back on airplanes I didn't want to do either of those things uh, do I try and find a job with an entrepreneur in a small company which is what I had been doing and that wasn't that didn't work out so well the last round so I didn't really want to do that again and and so I just decided I, I'm gonna double down on myself and I'm gonna work for myself and uh, do my own thing. I slowly started to build and kind of monetize photography since 2011. And it had grown every year without trying too hard. And I'm like, well, what if I try? What could happen? And um, 
and a big part of that was was really um, just being in the moment, learning to be more in the moment. Um, you know, I I, um, I was in therapy at different times in in that period of, of time when different things happened in my life, and I learned a lot in that process. Um, you know, um, this guy said to me one day, he, he, he was he's a Buddhist, and he wasn't didn't do therapy as a Buddhist, but he's a Buddhist, and he, he said something to me very Buddhist. He said to me one day when I went in there and I was like, you know, this is going to hell and this is happening, this is happening. And then this, this, and this is all going to happen. And then, and you know, this is going to be bad. And, and he's like, you know, don't indulge the story. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you don't know any of that. And he was right. I didn't. But the reality is what I did every day when I ran software teams, is I had to tell that story. I had to know the story because you had to project revenue. You had to have a plan. You had to create action to bring money into the company and pay people's salaries. And that was my job. So professionally, every day I invented this story. But personally, that kind of thinking was killing me. And so I learned that simple comment helped me understand something different about, you know, the there's an idea I'm really fond of, which is, you know, the past is the past and the future is unwritten. And so you can't walk around thinking, you know, what's going to happen. And the best place to be is right here, right in the moment. And, um, you know, the whole idea of mindfulness is very popular. I'm not crazy about that term. I just think about it as living in the present and, and um, savoring that, you know, um, I'm a big fan of quotes. One of my favorite photography quotes is, by a guy named Mark Rimbaud, and it's photography is savoring life one five hundredths of a second at a time. And, you know, in, in many ways, that's a profound idea for me. And it, it ties into what I do for a living, as well as what I think about every day in, in my personal life, too. So, uh, <laughs> just for my own edification, one five hundredth of a second, is that uh, shutter speed? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. So when the shutter clicks and you take a picture, um, it exposes the, the sensor in a digital camera or film, and that's what makes the picture. So it's that idea that that fraction of a second, a thousandth of a second, a hundredth of a second, whatever it may be, um, in photography is what you're living with, is that, that frozen moment in time. But when you think about how we live our lives, I think there's a lot to learn in that train of thought. Um, you know, a lot of times we're really caught up with the past or the, or the future, and we're missing the 500th of a second right in front of us. It could be really profound. Um, I, I like that. I like that line of thinking, and it's it's uh, it's something that I practice in in my own in my own personal life, and and also in in my professional life too. Um, the idea of being present, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. So currently, uh, you are a photographer, and you are the owner of Joe VJ Photography, um, which is uh, which is how you and I came to know each other. I, I, I'm going to have you share that story in just a moment, but um, I want to ask you a question that I, I'm not sure that I, I've ever asked you, and that is, uh, how and when did you first become interested in photography? Um, well, I had a camera as a little kid, a film camera, and I like taking pictures, although I can't say I was like smitten with the camera. Uh, I wasn't, you know, obsessed with it. You hear some people say, I got a camera when I was eight and I never put it down. I wasn't that way. Um, I, I think it really kicked in uh, in my early 20s. Uh, I was living in Dover, New Hampshire, and I was living with a bunch of college pals after college. And they all had random jobs. You know, they worked nights, they worked weekends all over the place. And I had a professional job at a mental health center. So I was working Monday through Friday, nine to five. 
And I used to hike when I was younger, so I started going on hikes because I had nobody around and there's nothing to do on the weekends. These guys are all working. So I, I'd go for hikes. And um, I started trying to take pictures on hikes. You know, you see cool stuff. And I started to do like solo overnights and stuff. And, you know, you go to Kinsman Pond and the pond's beautiful in the morning and you want to try and capture that and show people. And because I was most of the time on my own. And um, so that was when I started to try to take pictures. And then I started to try to take more serious pictures of, and got like a more serious film camera at the time and got kind of enamored with the idea of landscape photography and trying to take good landscape photos. And that was really the only focus for a long time. Like I got every photo I shot was off a tripod for years. I never shot animal pictures because it was always a landscape photo and landscape photos are often really slow shutter speed. You got to put them on a tripod and they sit there for a minute or whatever. And uh, it's lower light, like sunset or sunrise. And so it's actually very different than what I've kind of done more of and had quote unquote success with as later on in my life. But so it, it, it kind of grew from there. Yeah. Um, you were self-taught? Mostly. Yeah. Um, you know, I took some courses. Um, did a couple of darkroom things at UNH that you could do, and if you weren't a student, did a couple of darkroom things over at uh, Manchester Institute of Art or whatever it's called these days, because uh, I was living down in that area. And um, but for the most part, yeah, self-taught and trial and error. So, um, 2011, do I have that uh, that that time frame correct? Is when you is when you 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 is when Joe Vijay Photography became. Uh, became an entity is that you know, it, it's funny I, I um that's what i always think about for that moment but actually i was looking on my website and i forgot i, I actually shot what became an acidotic race ultimately the it wasn't called this at the time it was called the madison thanksgiving 5k that paul and catalina ran uh, at purity spring and um i shot that in 2010 in november but 2011 was the year that things really started to happen. You know, I shot it. Because I shot that that Thanksgiving race with one camera and a 50 millimeter lens, and, um, and that's a fixed lens, no zoom. That's what I had, so that's what I shot with. Uh, and um, but 2011, um, you know, our mutual friend Paul Kirsch um, said, "Hey, you should, you know, you should come shoot Side Hiller," and so I did. And uh, that year I shot Sidehiller, I shot Grand State Snowshoe Champs at Great Glen. And uh, thank you, Chris Dunn. And uh, Northfield Mountain, and uh, then Mount Washington illegally, which is another story. And um, Cremoire, which was National Champs. And so that was that year things happened. Um, but I gotta tell you, you mentioned me, us meeting and um, not to, the conversation away from the ways you want to go but oh please side hiller i had never shot a snowshoe race and and i also had never really shot a race of the crowd of people that went to side hiller at that time and so i'll never forget you know monday morning paul paul and i know each other because we've worked together for a long time in the software world and um even though people may think paul answers to no one i was his boss for many years actually <laughs> and, and um, <laughs> um but uh and i've been lost without him i have to say but anyway um as we all are but um so i went back into work on monday and i was like dude who are these acidotic racing people and what's their deal like because you know you guys were everywhere at that race and you all looked just 
badass with tights and acidotic sh shirts that were very branded and color coordinated and the whole package. And I remember you specifically, actually. And uh, on the back, I can't remember what your slogan was at the time, but pain is temporary. Acidotic racing is forever. Yeah. And um, I was like, who are these people? And what cult are they part of? What is this? And he's like, oh, this guy, Chris Dunn, and he has this team. So, yeah, that was my first uh, awareness of Chris Dunn and AI. Well, your your website, Joe VJ Photography, is uh, it, it's it's really amazing. It's it, I mean, it's visually stunning. It's just really really well done, um, and and I, I really think your your creative range is also incredibly impressive as well. You know, from you know from your start with landscape photography to to portraits, um, uh, real estate photography, and and uh, the, the the handful of special projects that you've done. Uh, really, uh, across the board, your, your work is extraordinary. And yet, it's likely that the listener of the show is most familiar with your sports photography, right? Um, but, but to your earlier point, you, you didn't start off shooting sports. Uh, you started off as a landscape photographer. Um, you, you tell the story of... Um, of um, of sort of Paul Kirsch be, being your gateway into sports photography, um, which uh, which we'll talk about um, would eventually become for you uh, really I I think largely what you are known for at least in 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 my view, um, but yeah but tell the story of the Mount Washington Road Race because I I mean I really think that 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 event right. Um, you know, for, for you, I, I almost feel like it was, it was really a launching point, um, for, you know, for you to, to, to really go broad, so to speak, and, and to really branch out, um, into bigger, uh, more high profile events. How did you get the Mount Washington road race, uh, photography gig? How did that come about? Yeah. Well, so I, you know, as I mentioned, it, it kind of organically started shooting some of the mountain circuit and, um, you know, photos were getting out there a little bit. Social media was starting to happen. Um, the Cranmore race that year, um, I had some stuff published. Um, and that was a pretty big deal to me, like, um, which I can tell you that story as well if you want. But, um, uh, but basically, you know, I shot the race that year because Paul and Kevin Tilton and a couple other people needed a ride down. And Paul was like, hey, if you drive my truck, you can shoot the race and we can ride down. And I was like, cool, I'll do that. So we went up and it was raining. And I went up, I should say it was raining. I got pictures of Ricky Gates and, you know, these people we love, Kim Dobson, and um, in the fog and the mist and uh, Dave Dunham and Kevin Tilton and you name it. And, um, you yeah, know, life is good. And I put a gallery up, which is what I had started to do. And I you know, make a little bit of money on the gallery, people buying their photo. And uh, at some point, um, someone who I've really come to know a bit and really think is a great person sent me a cease and desist letter. And that's how he weaned. He, he sent me a note and said, hey, uh, literally a, a paper letter uh, and said, you know, we need you to stop and take this gallery down immediately. We have a photographer. The auto road is private property and we only endorse one commercial photographer. And it's not you. <laughs> and so I sent him an email and I said, nope, the gallery's down, no problem. But, you know, my primary interest in shooting the race is editorial, honestly, because I had been selling some stuff to Trail Runner in different places. 
And so, um, you know, if there's any opportunity to shoot the, the race that way and not put up a gallery, I would appreciate it. And he said, well, talk to this guy and maybe you can get on the media then. And he was happy to have his problem go away because I think the photographer, the record at the time, was giving him a hard time about me. And um, so uh, John Stifler, get on the van with John Stifler, who's the media guy, and uh, shot the race for editorial purposes for a couple of years. And um, then one day they said, you know, we, I got some communication out of the blue from the events director at the time. And uh, said, you know, we really think we like your pictures better and would you consider being the official guy and uh, i said well, absolutely and so i became the official guy and uh that was um uh i guess that was 2012 uh when that happened um that i shot at first as as the official photographer of the race and uh and then in 2015 started shooting the bike race as well uh yeah, I, I just I, I think I think it's just a, it's such a fascinating uh, story. And uh, I mean, you of all people can appreciate uh, illegal uh, photography. We uh, or, uh, yeah. or 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 uh, or or non endorsed photography. We, we, we yeah. can talk a little bit about that, too. Um, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, right. right. That's yeah, yeah, that's that's what I, I meant. Um, yeah. Yeah, share share the share the story of the of the Cranmore race. I think that's a good story too. Yeah, so that was in 2011. Um, uh, you know, it, it was Mountain Champs, and at the time, Ashley Arnold, who was a Leadville winner, was one of the primary writers and editors at Trail Runner, and she was coming to Cranmore, and she was going to write a story about trying to make the U.S. team, and. Again, Paul, I owe him so much in so many ways. Um, he uh, connected me to her and said, hey, you know, this is Joe, Ashley, blah, blah, blah. So we conversed and traded messages. And um, I, I remember um, I bought a, a ca another camera to shoot that race. And I didn't have the money. I was going through my divorce at the time. And um, uh, it was probably a bad idea to spend any money at that moment in my life. But I bought another camera, which meant I had to buy another lens. I could shoot the race with two cameras because somehow it just felt like now I got I can't shoot this with one camera. And um, so I shot the race, not and never having shot a race like that, didn't really know what I was doing, you know, in a lot of ways, how to get around the mountain, how to think about where people were and how they were moving, um, how the men's race filtered in with the women's race, all this kind of thing, you know, all these things that I think about now. And we talk about sometimes in race planning, how we're going to shoot the race. I had no idea insight into at that time. But as luck would have it, and probably because I was whipped from running around the mountain, I was coming down just in time to see Casey Enman sprinting the final 100 yards to win by minutes. Um, and I got a picture of her kind of from the side, and I continued to move towards the finish line. And uh, I turned around, and coming were Brandy Airholtz, uh, Megan Lazat-Lund, and Amber Reese. And as you know, at the time, three slots for the world's team. So one person in that line of three wasn't going to make the team. And I got a, a bunch of sequences of them running through um, that were pretty dramatic. And, um, you know, other pictures and sent those off to Trail Runner. And I knew something was going to get published, but they never tell you what because layout can change things. They don't want to make any promises. 
And, you know, living in North Carolina, there's not a big Barnes and Noble. I'm like on the hunt for trail runner constantly. And so I go into EMS one day, it was the only place that carried trail runner, and they finally had it. And I brought it out to my car, opened it. And that picture was the double truck title page of trail runner that month. And it fucking blew me away, if I can say that. Uh, I might have shed a tear, but I won't admit that in public, but I just did. But, uh, and uh, it was very dramatic. It was pr really profound to me. And it was kind of like legitimizing that something different was happening. And uh, I was able to do something that I didn't know I could do and make some things happen. I didn't think I could make happen. And um, it was a pretty cool moment. Well, that certainly wasn't the end of your um, uh, of your iconic imagery, particularly as it relates to our events. Um, you know, it was it was it was probably shortly after that uh, that, uh, that we made the the business decision, Acidotic Racing, uh, to value um, photography uh, as a as a value add uh, to 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 what we would offer. Um, as, as part of our event. And so uh, we started paying for professional photography services uh, for you and your crew uh, to shoot our events uh, and to provide uh, free images to our participants. So we would, we would pay for your professional, your professional services. Um, and, I'm, and I'm thoroughly convinced uh, even to this day um, that, that, that was one of the best decision business decisions that, that we ever made. Um, the, the imagery, uh, associated, uh, with, with our, with our mountain and trail races and the, um, the, um, the accessibility, uh, to our event, meaning, meaning people could actually, people could see people racing our course otherwise they would never see what our course looked like i mean they they may see a you know two-dimensional map but that doesn't really kind of tell the story of some of these some of these epic backgrounds and you i mean you are I mean, you really are a master in terms of context in terms of framing shots uh to you know to, to not only capture to your earlier point not only to, to capture the story that's unfolding in front of you um but also use Mother Nature as this amazing backdrop. Again, I really think uh, your work uh, was a was a big reason our events, um, you know, became elevated at that time. But so, I'm always in the unique position of having the opportunity to review the entirety of your gallery of images after an event, after after you shoot one of our events. Uh, and I always, I always enjoy, uh, uh, you know, looking at the entirety of, of your work. It, but it's interesting to me that as I look through the, the, the these catalog of, of images from a race, um, it, it's obvious when you see the the totality or the entirety of of the of the gallery that that some people seem to make it easier for you to get a good picture, <laughs> while other people it seems like they don't really have any idea how to help Joe and his crew uh, get a good photo. Um, so, you know, now that you've, you've had, you've had the, you know, you've had the, the unique opportunity to shoot, you know, many, many mountain trail, ultra snowshoe events and other of those endurance type events you've shot probably hundreds of thousands of images now of, of tens of thousands of different athletes um from a photographer's perspective joe uh 
<laughs> how does a participant get a great race photo uh, <laughs> at the end of the day? I can help. Um, you know, there's, for a while, there's a, a thing going around on Facebook because I kind of put out there that um, don't touch your watch going over the finish line. And people were making little memes out of it. Kirsch actually was all over that. Yeah, um, I believe. I, yeah, to interject, I believe it was our friend Rick Fijalowski yes, uh, who uh, who was looking down at his watch uh, at the end of a race. Yeah, yeah, and you snapped a photo of him like literally stopping his watch at the finish line. I think well, it happens all I think, the time. Yeah, that's the meme. I think like Paul was inserting Rick into all these mm -hmm. these crazy locations mm -hmm. uh, with Photoshop. Really, yeah. Cool. And you know, it, it it it's partly circling back to what we were talking about. Think you know how we perceptualize our life. Like it, it's uh, part of it. It's that in the moment thing. Like you just did an amazing thing. You ran out Mount Washington. You're gonna spend your time crossing the line, touching your watch. Why don't you scream and yell and beat your chest? Do something to celebrate that amazing thing you just did. And so that would make the great photo, but it also makes the great moment for you. And that, and when I made that post and started teasing people about that, it was as much about that as it was the photo. It was like, you know, you did an amazing thing, something I can't ever imagine doing, frankly. I tell people all the time, like, I'd lift the Volkswagen before I'd run up Mount Washington. Just genetically, that's where I'm at. That's that's my predisposition. But so celebrate that, man. Don't look at your watch. So um, yeah, so that's one. Don't look at your watch crossing finish lines. Five seconds won't hurt your Strava. Uh, <laughs> so true. Uh, try to avoid neon colors. That's an easy one too. You know, like the neon green, the neon yellow. Those always come out way oversaturated, and it's hard to make them look good. So that that's something that you know you don't need high vis on a trail run anyway. So you know. Very true. Um, and uh, but the other thing I guess more behaviorally is you know, look at the camera and you don't have to smile even. But if you look at the camera, that eye contact goes a long way to making a good photo. And, and you can smile too. That's nice. You know. Um, and you know we know people who are so good at that. Um, like uh, uh, Leslie O'Dell always has a great look at the camera all the time. Sarah Candy master right she always looks confident and happy and having the time of her life uh and um but you know even if you're just doing what you're doing like um just looking my way is nice <laughs> and that's the one that always gets me people literally look the other way like you said they're making it really hard to get the photo and the other thing i would say you know since we got into the world of bib tagging um you know for people who don't know this is i um have an AI service, an artificial intelligence service that scans photos for characters. And it will pick up bib numbers and tag those photos with the bib number. And so you can go to my site at a race and type in your bib number and hopefully get your photos back. And it's not perfect, but it gets a lot of the photos. But, you know, people put bib numbers all over the place in random places. Um, and, you know, right in the front on your chest is a really good place for AI to pick it up. And, on your thigh, probably not. Because how do you know if I'm on your left or right? Who knows, right? Or on your back. Family people don't like pictures of their back, so I don't take very many pictures from the back. Um, so, you know, that that's another thing. It's maybe not about how you get a good picture of yourself. That's how you can easily find your picture on my website is put your bib somewhere where I can see it. Okay, I well, I can I, I can also speak as a as a race director uh, who does hand time now our events. 
the bane of my existence is bib numbers on thighs, because uh, not mm. only is it difficult for AI to pick up the characters, it's also different difficult for my 50 something year old eyes to pick up numbers as right. people are running across the finish line to write down their bib number mm. uh, when their leg is is swinging back and forth. You know, you've uh, you you you've really become uh, a fixture um uh at at many events but specifically the usatf new england mountain circuit um and more specifically uh at at both the loon mountain race uh our our our, uh, our former race and also uh our two other mountain races the cranmore mountain race and waterville valley mountain race and so uh, you know for 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 most of the folks that participate in that circuit, they know you, mm -hmm. and it's always um, <laughs> it's always it's always uh, it's funny uh, for me to look through the images from our uh, events uh, and uh, and and see uh, some of the histrionics uh, that that people contort themselves uh, to to get a photo, you know, from. Uh, you know, from from jumping up in the air with with arms and legs, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a wild, crazy position to to cartwheels and uh, I don't know, all sorts of hand gestures. Uh, do, do you get a kick out of that, too, when when someone recognizes you within an event? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and people have their trademark move. Right. You know, the cartwheel is one. Um, there's a woman from Massachusetts, Kristen, to the cartwheel on up the walking bus. The cartwheel on Washington for me in the rain and the mist and the cold weather. Um, and you know, uh, Freddie always does the jump, right? And different people have their thing, Freddie's two thumbs as well. And um, but they're always awesome. Uh, and one of the great ones that you know, they always give you a toothbrush at Mount Washington, Rusty Billito on the wall, brushing his teeth, looking at me, smiling. It was awesome. Um, and so, you know, some of those things are more pronounced and, and more premeditated, I think, but other times they're more spontaneous. You know, there's somebody who used to do a lot of races in the region, but look anymore. And they're very competitive and they blew one of the, the Grand State Snowshoe Race champs and put his fingers to his head like a gun right in front of me and looked right in the camera. I mean, it was like a gift. Now, you know, that was a very, it was a negative expression for him, but but that's how I always think about all those things, negative or positive. People give me these gifts. And um, the more I've shot and, and the more I've gotten to know people or people get to know me, even though I don't know them, which is kind of a weird thing I've come to realize that, you know, people know me, but I don't know them because they see my photos and stuff. But And then they see me on course and they, they interact with me and they give me these gifts. They give me these pictures to take, to make. The, the, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a smile, whether it's, oh, I'm going to run for you because they were walking or, or whether it's a, a kick or, or, or whatever. It, it's, I think about that as a gift every time. And that's, I'm so lucky to have it. And, and I feel like that's part of the relationship I have with the runner. And I feel very lucky to have that relationship. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. That was going to be the follow-up question uh, that I, that I had for you. And that is when you, when you are, when you are obviously recognized, on course because someone is giving you their signature, you know, move, their signature mm -hmm. photo. Um, do you feel like you feel like that's a that's a special connection, uh, an extra special connection you have to that community? Like, do you, does that make you feel part of the community and not just a a, a witness to it? Um, 
it's one of the things that makes me feel part of the community for sure. Um, and I do very much feel part of the mountain running community and I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. It's such a good thing in my life. Um, and, uh, but it's definitely one of the things, um, you know, I, I'm just mostly, it, it, it's a great exchange and I'm happy to document that moment for them. And, and sometimes it's their signature move and sometimes it isn't, you know, I posted a thing from Mount Washington, which was rainy and cold and, it was this woman with fogged up glasses, like three quarters of a mile out of the finish. Uh, and the temperature was dropping and the wind is blowing and the rain is going and she's smiling with fogged up glasses. So I couldn't see anything, but she was happy. And you know, I didn't know her, she didn't know me. And we actually conversed after I did a social media post, but she had a hip replacement. It was This was the first thing she had done after hip replacement. And, and so, you know, that, that kind of stuff makes me feel so part of the community to be able to document that and share that out with the people that follow me or or that are racers at, my, at whatever race it is or however they they find my my photos um you know to be able to reflect that back and and, and show people that it, it, you know I, I don't run the races but i feel that's my role in the community and mm. i feel really happy to play that role so one of your special projects is titled, uh, by the way, I say special projects on your on your website, your uh, your your galleries are organized um, into into different categories. Right. Yeah. Uh, landscape portrait. Um, uh, I may be getting them out of order, but architecture um, or uh, real estate, excuse me, yeah. um, sports. And then you have uh, then you have a special projects section. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but 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 I but I want to I want to focus on that um, one of those special projects for just a moment. So you you have a special project uh, in there titled uh, Mountain Runner Portrait Projects. Yeah. Project. Um, and you know in 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 reviewing that gallery again because I've I, I have I've obviously spent some time uh, there in the past. You know it 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 got me thinking about this. Uh, you know the the, the quote from the poet uh, Max Eastman who once said, "A smile is the universal welcome." You know, and and in that gallery, with the exception of my image, um, you know, <laughs> I love your image in that gallery. With the exception of my image, and 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 the listener can't see, but I have a wry smile on my face now, even though I did not have a smile on my face then. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I I I will I I will encourage the listener to visit <laughs> Joe Vijay Photography, click on uh, on special projects, and then click on Mountain Runner Portrait Project. Uh, and you will see that um, maybe with one other exception, but clearly I am scowling. But everyone else, though, here's my point. All of the other subjects, almost all of the other subjects um, uh, in that study are smiling back at you. So it, you know, it seems clear to me from this project that, that you love shooting sports and endurance events. But what is it, Joe, about these sports and and the people that you enjoy so much? Yeah, there is a picture in there of you with Timmy Lindsay, by the way, and you are smiling. So you have notoriety of two. That's true. But Thank you for reminding anyway. me. Um, so what I, you know, um, so what I enjoy about the photos is that 
that was the question, right? Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Or what? Yeah. I mean, what? What do you? What do you enjoy about the about these endurance sports? Yeah. Uh, and and the people and the yeah. and the, really the the subjects uh, of well, these. The people sports. are super nice for starters. You know, I, I like and come into that war into the world of, of these mountain races not knowing anybody. You know, sticking a camera in people's faces and they're gracious and wonderful to me. And so you know, that's the baseline of it all. Just really super nice people. Um, and then in terms of, you know, what it is that attracts me, gosh, there's so many things. Um, it's so inspiring, just so inspiring in so many ways. You know, I listened to your Josh Farrick episode, you know, that moment that you talked about with him on Mount Washington was unbelievable. Um, uh, yeah, I can just go on and on about so many moments of people who are either elite or not. Um, you know, in this Portrait Runner project, uh, there's a photo of, of a guy I know who lives about 20 minutes from me. His name is Bob. He works at an insurance company in Portland. He runs Mount Washington an hour and a half. And he's, he's, it's a picture of him, of a guy biting the metal, like it's gold. And it's like, you know, I know him from going to din have dinner at a bar down the road. Like, and he hangs out there sometimes with his wife. And it's like, man, jump out of a desk and you do that. That's amazing. You know? And so it's not even the elite. It's everybody, and it's it's just amazing. Um, things I, I I just am, I'm impacted every time, and and you know when I take the photo, but then I have to process photos and I have to call photos, and so I live with them for quite a while before people see them. And um, yeah, there are photos I definitely fall in love with for whatever reason, uh, and it might be something photographic, but a lot of times it's something human. You know, people's eyes. You know, when you get someone's eyes in a certain way in a photo, particularly an action photo, is always really amazing to me and tells stories that wouldn't otherwise get told. Um, you know, people's expressions. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm willing to admit also, like, the first picture in that is Max King. I was in Max King's house. That's where that picture was made. That's his gear room. Like, what the heck was I doing in Max King's house? So that's the other part of it. Like I look at these pictures sometimes and it, it's like the ultimate taking of stock about your life. Like how did this happen to me? How am I doing this? Uh, like, it, you know, I hadn't looked at these photos in a long time, honestly, and I pulled them up while we're talking. And, you know, I see that picture of Max. Like, I'm the luckiest person alive. How did I end up in Max King's house and take that picture of Max King? And, and so, it, it, you know, that's, how can you not like that? That's insane. When it, I mean, when it, when it, when it comes to the the entirety of of a body of work that you do, um, again, I mentioned the the landscape photography, the the, the portrait work uh, that you do, the real estate um, work, um, and then the and then the, the 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 sports photography. I mean, is it is it true that 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 you have the deepest emotional connection to the sports photography, even if maybe perhaps some of your other work is more lucrative? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it, yeah, it, I love it. Uh, you know, I, I I love the story. I love it. I just love it. Um, you know, again, looking at these pictures. Um, yeah, you know, just the, in all sports, but the, you know, running is, is has been so much of what I've shot. I, I tend to think of running as the reference for it, but the grit and the determination and the happiness and 
um, you know, people's spirit and, um, and, 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 you know, like, again, Mount Washington keeps coming up because Mount Washington just happened not too long ago. It was the last race since shot. And, you know, Kim Dobson, the nicest person in the world you could ever meet. Like, she crossed the finish line and I took a few pictures and I went over to say congratulations, give me a huge hug. And, and um, you know, I know Kim Dobson, but, you know, she's my best friend. She gave me a huge hug. And, um, but when she runs, when you take a picture of her running, it's like taking a picture of a freight train, right? Like Kim Dobson is a badass and hardcore when she runs. And that's an example of something that I love about it is seeing how people respond in those moments and ideally trying to capture some of those characteristics on both sides, you know, people that are really sweet and people that are really hardcore in different moments, you know. Um, Another person that has been really fun to photograph has been Amber Ferrer. There, can never say her name right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. kind of like kind of like Joe VJ. Yeah, Amber yeah, Ferrer. Right. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> she had a baby and she's out there killing it right now athletically. And then she picks up her her daughter right away. And same thing with Casey. When I first shot Casey at Northfield in 2011, her photo is in here. That that's a portrait I made at Northfield Mountain in 2011. And that's her daughter. And, you know, she had her guns, like, holding her daughter. She's got great arms. And she had just smoked everybody at that race. And she wanted to be world champion that year. Um, that duality is unbelievable to me, right? Like, that someone has that side of their personality. And then they go out and, like, just crush in the race. Um, I love being able to photograph that in both of those sides of things. It's really cool. So, so. Clearly, the sports photography uh, part of your 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 business uh, has uh, has increased. I mean, I know that because um, <laughs> I know now uh, that uh, I need to contact Joe uh, early in the year, like after the first of the year, to make sure that he's available to shoot. Uh, you know, the two events that we want him to shoot. Because I know that Joe's sports photography schedule is going to fill up pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can, well, can can you give the listener a, a, just a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of perspective in terms of uh, you know, roughly how many events uh, do you, yeah. are, will you shoot? Say, for instance, this year. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting though. Like going into COVID, that March I had twenty six events, and I did two. So, you know, that, that's where we've gone, right, in a couple of years. So this is rebuilding, um, not including other things that I tend to shoot, like like I shoot high school stuff because my kids are in high school, ski racing, baseball, those things, that, not counting that, things that are racing. Uh, right now I have 17 races wow. this year. Um, but others might come because there's some that I've shot before that aren't on the list that could become on the list. But um so um, I've been shooting for um, stuff that um, Andrew Drummond's doing with Skeeter Whites, Run the Whites, so his ski, last year's standing and his 5K and his blackout race and his ultra. Um, the Mount Washington races, um, shot Raid Rockingham gravel race this year, which is fun and different. Um, and as you know, I love gravel riding, so that was cool. Um, Loon, um, started before COVID, I started talking to um, Will Robins, who runs an organization called Ironwood Adventure Works in Vermont. And that was actually a Josh Ferentz suggestion. And um, we committed to doing some stuff together, and then COVID happened, and it never came, never came together. 
I did shoot one small race for him last year, but I'm doing several for him this year. The Moose Lamu Ultra, um, Trap Mountain Marathon, um, uh, 24 Hours of Great Glen, which is not an Ironwood race. Um, uh, um, what else? Mount Washington Hill Climb Bike Race. Um, a new one this year is Black Bear Trail Runs at Waterville Valley. Um, uh, Cranmore, Waterville. Um, yeah, so, you know, I love doing it and it's great to be, be busy doing it. And, you know, and, and you know how it is, like for me, it's fantastic. It's so fun and it's a social thing too, right? You know, people are great. So I'm working and I'm working hard, but but it's something else. Mm. Yeah. So, um, uh, last question as it relates to, uh, Joe Vijay photography. And then I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about gravel riding, uh, for you and, and your own p personal fitness journey. But, um, as, as these, as these race directors, uh, are reaching out to you, I mean, you mentioned Josh Ferentz and, and setting you up with the, with the folks at Ironwood. Um, but outside of that, um, how does a race director couch it when they, when they reach out to you like they're like, Joe, we, 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 we saw your images from blankety blank and we'd love you to shoot yeah. our races or, or does it, does it happen a different way? Like yeah. how do race directors come to know of your work in so much as they're willing to dedicate financial resources to it? Yeah. I think it happens different ways. Uh, oh, another race that's really amazing is that I'm doing again for the second time is uh, the Magrenta Cook 50 up in Kansas. Yes. Beautiful race. Everyone should run that if you're an ultra person. But anyway, um, you know, that race is an example. Um, there's a woman who's very tied into the running group up there and has run Loon in Mount Washington. And she said, hey, you should get this guy to come shoot McGrenthacook. And the race director reached out to me from there. Um, other people, you know, Josh mentioned Will to me. I reached out to Will and said, hey, you know, here's what I do. If you have, have any interest, or you need somebody, let me know. Um, you know, I ran sales and marketing, so I'm not above selling and marketing and reaching out. So I do that. Um, as you know, I'm pretty active on social media. So a lot of people have awareness of my photos. And um, I like to think that's something I, I work in partnership with race directors. You know, I find a lot of times I do more posts about a race than they do. And um, and I'm glad to do that. Uh, it's good for me, but it's good for them and it's good for both of us. And so I see work happening from that. You know, people see stuff. And, um, so, but even if it's somebody I'm reaching out to, generally people know who I am, which is really cool um, and surprising to me still. Uh, you know, I, the, you, Vermont Overland, which is a big gravel race in Vermont, one of the OG or gravel races, uh, they offered a trail run this year. And I sent an email to Ansel, who runs Vermont Overland these days, and said, hey, you need anybody to shoot? This is who I am. This is what I do. I shoot running. Love to help. And you know, we're able to kind of figure some things out and we'll see, maybe I'll shoot the bike race. Um, so you know, it it's like most business. You have relationships and you build relationships and you put yourself out there and put the work out there and you're doing good stuff and being a good person that comes back to you. Yeah, well I, I find it interesting that um that um a lot of your new work uh, is as a result of your active pursuit of it, uh, rather than just passively sitting back and waiting for people to contact you, uh, reaching out to race directors um, and selling them on the concept of providing sports photography, 
uh, as a really as a as a way to market their events. I mean, you know, the old yeah. expression: a picture tells a tells a, a thousand uh, tells a thousand words, um, or something to that to to, to that effect. Again, uh, we have we have certainly uh, found that uh, that your photography and providing free images um, from our events has 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 only been a force multiplier for us and a and a big reason for the success of our events. Well, you know, you're you're you not only enjoy capturing uh, uh, these these iconic memorable moments in sports. But you also enjoy ma making some memories uh, of your own uh, and your own personal athletic pursuits, namely uh, and most recently uh, gravel riding. So I I stalked your Strava account, Joe. OK, and I, and I need you to explain something to me. Right. Because I I think it's a really interesting uh, phenomena uh, in your Strava data. So. <laughs> I know that's what's cool about Strava is you, you can uh, yeah you can actually you can actually look at what people have done historically right yep. so so I so I went into uh, in, in in preparation for this for this podcast episode I went into Strava into your Strava account and uh, and I and I looked at your number of rides okay because uh, I for me I I think I think particularly as it relates to gravel I I think that's a that's a it's a much better metric. Uh, for uh, for cycling as an activity than say distance or uh, or time you know it's it's how many rides did you do that's for me that's a that's a pretty good measure of how of how active uh, you've been so in 2021 according to Strava and you know if it's not in Strava it didn't happen right? so in 2021 Strava says you did 241 rides. Mm -hmm. In 2020, you did 247 rides. In 2019, 39 rides. In 2018, one ride, close. <laughs> 2017, zero rides. So my yeah. question to you, Joe Vijay, is <laughs> what happened between 2019 and 2020 when you went from posting 39 rides to posting 247 rides? What in the Sam hell happened uh, <laughs> between 2019 and 2020? Got my shit together, man. Um, <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it's, it's funny. It kind of circles back to what, something we were talking about earlier. In the podcast you know where you just kind of you get some insights about life and you get to a different place and i'm surprised i had 39 that i don't know how that happened really <laughs> it's fair uh, that's that's weird to me <laughs> um, but uh I, you know i i um i bought a fat bike on impulse and because i used to ride and I was thinking about trying to get more active and I was walking and I have a really bad right knee that supposedly needs to be replaced. So I can't run. Uh, it's not good for me. I, I do occasionally, but it hurts usually and it's just not good. So um, I've been walking and, and trying to make some changes that way. And um, But, you know, just not enough intensity in that to really move me from point A to point B. And I bought this fat bike and ended up riding it like a beach cruiser once in a while. It never really was something I rode. It's a big, heavy beast, three by up front. It's, it's, it's stupid. And, um, and it was painful when I rode it. Every time hurt so much. I was like, it's, it's horrible. And uh, so there's no stickiness with it, you know. 
And then I started to see these gravel bikes, and I thought, well, you know, maybe that would be a way to go. Maybe I should buy a gravel bike. Maybe that would help me go somewhere on the bike, you know, versus just bop around town on this fat bike. And my recollection of riding mountain bikes was I crashed them, and they're always out of adjustment because you crashed them. And I don't want to do either of those things. I don't want to rent on a bike. I don't want to crash a bike. And so, well, maybe the gravel bike is a way to to get around those things. And and anyway, uh, in August of some year, I can't remember when now, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, I bought a gravel bike. And um, I started to ride it very consistently, you know. Um, and at first, 10 miles is a long ride, you know. And then the new 10 miles is 15 miles. And, um but uh and it i don't know it just it just stuck it, it was the right thing for me because i live in a place where there's a lot of dirt and, and uh, a lot of isolated roads and so it's easy for me to leave from my house and ride and see three cars in an hour and a half and um that's very different than mountain biking where you have these bursts of things and you ride for an hour and a half you only go five miles like i ride for an hour and a half and you, know, you go 25 miles and you climb and in that process you know you burn 2,000 calories i burn 2,000 calories i'm not a small person so you know i put out a lot of power to get where i'm going and um that comes back full circle to like the rest of that story about having this moment where things that were going to change is i started riding bikes and um stopped eating carbs for a while and i lost a lot of weight uh and that only made me ride more because I loved it. It was fun. And I got over all the aches and pains that I had. I got stronger. And um, things I thought were because I was 50-something, I realized was because I was weak or uh, I hadn't lifted enough weights or I, I just hadn't been active enough. And I got over all that. I got to the next place. And so now um, I, I'm much more attuned to just doing something every day. And um Last year, I was particularly good at that. I had very little days, very few days I didn't do something every day. Uh, this year has been harder. I've been very busy with work, and um, but uh, that's still my goal, and um, I'm still after it. And you know, I rode a bike today. I rode a bike yesterday. I, you know, it's something I I try to do as much as I can. Mm. And it's not just riding a bike. So like, I, you know, I still walk, and I started uphill skiing, AT skiing, which has been fantastic in the winter, and fat biking in the winter, um, odd run here and there. Um, you, you dabble in some strength training. I know. Yeah. I I've been more dedicated than I am right now to strength training, but, um, definitely in, a, in some yoga because when you ride bikes, you get gimped up. I don't go to yoga classes, but I do some YouTube videos that, um, have really helped keep me aligned and help my core about cycling. Um, so it's been a really big lifestyle change for me in the last couple of years. And uh, I love the gravel bike. I, I just can't, I'm a zealot about it. And, you know, I post pictures all the time on Instagram. All these rides are like little photo shoots to me, I guess, but, um, people don't seem sick of them though. So that's good. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just a big fan of it. And, uh, it's kind of funny. I think people think I ride like a hundred miles. Sometimes I ride like 10 miles and I think it's <laughs> Oh man, that was an epic ride. It's like, yeah, 10 miles right down the road from my house. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not surprising that a professional photographer would also take some pretty amazing, uh, shots on his iPhone. <laughs> uh, that should come as no surprise. Um, uh, 
give a shout out to your uh to your bike what uh, what are you riding what what do you what do you ride for uh making money yeah. well it, you know i i don't know if i'd buy this bike again but i do i have enjoyed it i do like it, it i have a track aluminum frame bike truck checkpoint alr5 um but i got good advice from you and from kevin tilton both told me um buy um 105 components or above and buy hydraulic brakes because they both are more maintenance free and i, I already admit i don't like wrenching on bikes and that has been absolutely true that, that thing just runs and uh and that's been important to keep me going you know i don't want to mess around with the bike um so it's just a great bike to ride it really is um and i've you know changed some things of carbon bars carbon seat plus i had a bike fit in the spring that was an expensive but good process. Often, yeah, oftentimes a yeah. bike fit is a is a is a game changer. Yeah. Well, uh, you, I mean, you can't have a conversation with a cyclist and not ask the cyclist how many bikes do you own. <laughs> I own three bikes. Um, one I haven't ridden in a long time. I have an old specialized hardtail, the like nineteen ninety one, but will come. Uh, and I have uh, a Norco. That bike that's two years old that I love is a great bike, and I have the, the check. Yeah, right. So, uh, right. So the the running joke in cycling is the answer to the question uh, of how many bikes a cyclist should own is the mathematical equation n plus one, mm -hmm. n equaling the number of bikes that you currently own plus the one bike that you don't own but that you need to own. So if Joe is at, is going to add, not that I'm not that I'm suggesting you would add, but if Joe was to add, uh, what is your plus one, Joe? What um, <laughs> what's the one bike that you don't have uh, that you would add to your to your yeah. arsenal? Well, you know, I bought a camera this year, and if I hadn't bought a camera, I would have done that plus one. But uh, <laughs> camera, uh, Nikon came out with a new flagship camera, and I, I had to have it. Uh, but um, uh, it's a, a lot of people might say, "Oh, it's going to be a full suspension," and I, that isn't it. It wouldn't be that. Um, I think I would get something that is more a, what a lot of people would call a drop bar mountain bike. It's essentially a gravel bike, but it has, you can take two half inch tires on it and it's got more climbing gearing than the checkpoint has. And um, maybe a little more bike packing oriented. Yes. Uh, which you'll be interested in this. Uh, coming up in mid July with a couple of old friends of mine, we're doing a, an overnight up in the land of Metalac. And we're going to stay at Coleman State Park. And Interesting. Go from stark and go up one side and then come back down through nash stream so i was thinking of you actually about the metal act race when i was looking at that map the other day and wanted to mention it to you because that was such a good race and i always enjoyed photographing that same race. yeah very very same neck of the woods well that yeah. bike that bike that you describe that drop bar mountain bike gravel bike hybrid is just one of the new bikes uh that that sort of seem to be coming out every few years as like you know what 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 gravel uh uh riding did was sort of create this entire new category um of of cycling uh and and within that category <laughs> now there are a number of different bike entrants right so there's you know I, originally gravel bikes were uh you know old discarded cyclocross bikes mm -hmm. uh typically aluminum frame cyclocross bikes backup bikes 
um, uh, in which uh, um, folks would change out the gearing because cyclocross bikes are not they're not geared for long, arduous climbs. So you'd have to put mountain bike gearing on it. But but with a with a, just a couple of small modifications, you could turn a cyclocross aluminum frame bike into a gravel bike, which is exactly what I did mm -hmm. when I when I went from an aluminum frame uh, racing cyclocross bike to a full carbon cyclocross racing bike. I turned my aluminum frame uh, cyclocross bike into a gravel bike by putting mountain bike gearing on it. But but, but that was before mm -hmm. the emergence of dedicated uh, gravel bikes. Yeah. Now you don't you know you don't have to look for a discarded secondhand cyclocross bike and turn it into a gravel bike. You can just go directly into the category by buying a gravel bike, and then within that category, now you know, since then bike packing has become a thing mm -hmm. and the bike packing category is an entirely different category. Now it looks similar, right. To the casual observer, it looks like a gravel bike, but there are some unique characteristics to that, uh, that bike line as well. I gotta, I also have to ask you this about gravel riding. Oftentimes, uh, as athletes, uh, or, or, you know, uh, active people, when, when, when we when we when we are getting into a new category of sport or a new category of activity, we're often inspired by the uh, by the exploits of maybe somebody that we know or that we look up to that's doing that thing. And I mean, that that was for that was me when I got into cyclocross uh, racing. I had buddies that were doing it and it just it looked like kind of something cool. And I and I got into it and, and did it for a while and really enjoyed it. But I. I probably, I wouldn't have gotten into cyclocross racing if it was just me. Um, mm -hmm. for you, uh, was, was there, was there a, a, a person or persons, uh, that maybe you knew or were following that were doing this gravel riding that you, at some point you thought, well, that's kind of cool. I, you know, I look yeah. up to them. That's something I think I might want to do. Yeah. Well, I definitely think shooting the Metalac race seated, you know, cause a lot of those bikes were early form gravel bikes and, that terrain is, is beautiful gravel. Uh, so that was definitely part of it. So yourself included, um, you know, Kevin Tilton had acquired a couple of gravel bikes around the time the year before I started looking for one. So I knew he was kind of starting to ride that. Um, uh, I, I think though, it's funny though. I think for me, like, it's really interesting because gravels, this whole continuum of bikes, even what is the bike, as you said, is it is a whole question mark. And people trick them out in different directions from more mountain bike oriented to more road bike oriented in that continuum. Uh, but um, once I started riding it, the thing that really inspired me to the whole thing was it was like, like when I was a kid, I had this bike we bought off the side of the road for like 15 bucks with like big ape hanger bars or like a Schwinn or something, three speed. And like I rode that bike everywhere. I rode it all over town. I rode it up in the woods, I rode it all over the place. And when I get on my gravel bike, I feel that way. Like I feel like I'm going everywhere on this bike. I ride single track, I ride class six on maintained roads, I ride gravel roads, I ride pavement. And I'm never kind of like, oh, this sucks. Like it always feels good. And that's what I love about that bike. And I think that's been one of the most inspiring things. Not as much a person as that experience of being able to go out my front door and ride five different kinds of terrain and and enjoy it and have a good time and, and get a workout and get exercise and see different things. And hey, you see these little, like I rode two and a half miles of class, unmaintained class six that's about eight miles from my house. And you know, I was there three years after getting my bike. So the, the opportunity to go have these little micro adventures, I love, um, really love a lot. And 
you know, I just, and again, it's back to that moment-based living in many ways, right? Like, yeah, I can take a right turn right here. All right, let's do that. And let's see where it takes us um, versus having, I never ride on a route. You know, people have routes on Wahoo devices or whatever, Garmin's. I never ride a route. I would just go. And um, so it, all this stuff is connected to me in a lot of ways. And I think that's why I gravitate towards it because it fuels a certain mindset for me that I found is really helpful to me and really helpful to me. Yeah. I, and I, uh, I've had a very similar experience in gravel riding that, uh, that, um, you know, childlike exploration, you know, yeah. to, to, to probe down a class six road that you've, you've maybe driven by before yep. and noticed it, but have never been down it. And I'm always curious, like, where does it go? Uh, and what does it look like? Uh, you know, does it come out somewhere that's maybe interesting that maybe opens up more gravel? So I'm, 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 I'm totally down with that as I've had, uh, you know, very much the same experience out here in Stratford. Yeah. Um, I know you do a lot of rides solo, but you also do some rides with buddies. Uh, uh, you want to name names? Who, who are your cycling buddies? <laughs> who, are, who are the folks that you get together and uh, yeah. ride gravel with locally? Um, well, Kevin, when we, when I, I'm a horrible planner about these things. I'm sending you pretty impulsive. And uh, I, I've got an hour I'm going to get on my bike. But Kevin Tilton, for sure, is somebody I like to ride with. And I always get him on a rest day so he doesn't have to feel like he's <laughs> Especially now, he's in such good shape and doing so well. Um, but, uh, I've been riding with Jim Graham, which is fantastic. And I have fun together riding. He recently was up this way and we rode from my house and showed him some of the local turf. Um, and, uh, I've done some rides with John Kovar, which is awesome. He was on vacation up here and I went for a ride with him and his brother and showed him around Tamworth and Sandwich. And, uh, um, and, you know, again, I, I'm always the best planner. I have a lot of conversations with different people who want to ride, and then they don't happen. But I'm always up for it. Um, I've done some rides with um, fat bike rides with George Joy and Mindy, um, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and then there's a couple of friends that um, are with Katrina Zelensky, who I think you might know. She lives near here. I do. Travel rider, so she's a cyclocross race. Um, and a friend of mine who lives over in Bethel, um, a woman named Sarah Weaver. She as a friend and they go on these rides and I, I don't ride there that much, but they go on these rides that are insane. They're like super adventure rides, like 5,000 feet of elevation, 75 miles through every logging road in Western Maine. You know, it's just amazing. But I ride with her once in a while. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I'm always up for a ride with somebody else. And my good friends, Eric and Denise, like these are two of the people I've known the longest in my life. I knew Denise since kindergarten. And um, they, uh, Eric is like my cycling touchstone. He uh, raced at UNH and he had a mountain bike before anybody I knew. And the mountain bike I got was his. I bought it, his used mountain bike. And so um, that's who I'm doing the bike pack with, uh, two of my oldest friends. And so they're great fun to ride with as well because, like, you know, we get, don't see each other that much. And mm. it's great to get out. Yeah. So, I, you know, cycling, particularly gravel riding, can be this, um, this, this amazing shared experience with, with friends. I mean, I, I always found that it was, it was, it was much more fun, although sometimes, you know, difficult to coordinate, uh, people's schedules to get together to ride with people. Um, but, but always infinitely more enjoyable to, to ride with buddies, uh, than, than to ride, uh, alone. Um, so you know, obviously the amount of riding that you do, um, you know, is an important component to your overall fitness program but um i mean just just generally w w why is why is fitness important 
to you? I mean, what, what, what do you, what do you get out of it? I mean, you, you mentioned, you mentioned weight loss or weight management, yeah. but aside from that, you know, what, what, why is it important for you to be physically fit? Yeah. You know, the weight thing is never a goal. It's going to happen. You know, you always want to lose weight if you're heavy, but it wasn't something I was trying to do. I had no goal weight, but uh, it was just happening and I'm glad it did. But, um, you know, I think for me, it's, it, it, you know, you feel better physically, obviously, but ultimately it's to do more, you know, I, I enjoy riding. I, I, I really enjoy the uphill skiing stuff I, I've been doing. And, you know, if you don't have a certain level of fitness, you can't go do those things. And, and so being able to have the gas in the tank to go do that stuff that, that, and have those experiences, that's kind of the primary motivation is that. Um, and, you know, I definitely noticed the difference shooting races. Like I shot races at a time when I was less fit and, you know, I'm hauling two cameras and one has a big lens and, you know, that there's a toll that that takes running around chasing people on mountains. And so, um, yeah, that's a whole other scene. And, and, uh, and things that used to be pretty much all I would do for a weekend are now things I do for part of a day and then I go for a bike ride, you know? So, uh, that's really cool. Um, you know, winter before last, I, I went fat biking in the morning. I had some work and I came home and it was, no, it was the opposite. I did a sunrise uphill ski, um, which is something I like to do in the winter because I'm close to skier. And I went and did some work. I came home and it was looking like a beautiful evening. And I took my fat bike over to Wolfboro and rode groom trails at night. And like to do like a double session like that, like I, I didn't do those things before. So having the ability to do that when you have the time and the weather's good and it's beautiful and you can get out, like that's what it's about for me more than anything. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't, don't you feel when you are, when you are physically fit that you are, you are the best version of yourself. In other words, you're, you know, you're, you're a better, you're a better entrepreneur. You're a better, you're a better parent. Uh, uh, you just, just all aspects of your life seem to be elevated. Um, when, when you're physically fit, do you, do you, do you find that that's true? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though. You know, like, uh, um, like I just mentioned that thing about skiing and then fat biking like that. That is a big deal for me, but it's funny because like I hang with a fast crowd, like, you know, Kevin Tilton was on the mountain team. Like these are real athletes. And so it, it's still a process for me to, um, to feel like, like I can do these things. You know, there's an identity shift that's still going on inside me um, about, you know, yeah, you, you don't have to just do one thing in a day. You can do two things in a day or, or like on a gravel ride. You know, sometimes I'm intimidated by certain rides because they're long, a lot of elevation. And, and getting my head around that side of things, that, that endurance mindset is a whole other thing. I played ball sports as a kid. I, you know, I used to lift weights a lot in high school. And so that was my mindset, you know, that kind of sport, not endurance sports. So that's mm -hmm. a whole other thing that's moving all the time for me and is part of the process um yeah i mean it's definitely it's, it's definitely part of the evolution that for, for for sure and i and and i i think i think that evolution is a is a is a continuous process for all of us um joe let me let me let me let me wrap up this uh this this formal uh back and forth conversation with this with this last question and that's um what's what's the most important lesson um 
about fitness that either either you've read or or that was told to you? Um, you know, the first thing I think of is is to keep moving, uh, and that's simple. But you know that, and that, in many ways, that's been the best thing for me is just keep moving, do something every day, and um, you know, getting a. I got my first watch three years ago when I got my bike, and and having the ability to know I was doing something every day was really profound and made a big difference for me. And, um, and and the idea that you don't have to go do big things, you know, you go out and go for a mile walk, that that adds up over time and makes a difference. So you go for a mile walk in one day and you ride 25 the next, and then you lift weights the third, and, and those things all add up. So that do something every day and it accrues. Yeah, I mean, I think for me that, that speaks to two things that I, I think are really important, and that's consistency and diversification. Yeah, and, and <laughs> conversations with you helped me understand that in many ways. Um, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think those two forces are are incredibly powerful. Well, let's um let's finish with this. Uh, it's a fun little little section that I call uh, three random questions. Right? Um, it, but uh, before uh, uh, I ask you these three random questions, let me ask you this question, uh, and that is, uh, uh, will you confirm to the listener that you have not received these three questions in advance? I have not. Okay, so these, yeah, so these truly are three random questions. Okay. Uh, well, here we go. Uh, first random question for Joe Vijay. Joe, if you could apprentice with any photographer, either past or present, who would it be and why? Hmm. Um, uh, Gosh, all these names are running through my head, and they're all very you know, hard to pick on. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you won't you won't be getting private messages from somebody that you uh, that you don't mention. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel feel free um, to lean towards someone. I, I would say Richard Avedon, who shoots nothing I shoot. He he shot portraits and he shot fashion, but he had uh, I think a a really interesting vision, even simple portraits of people. And um, yeah, he has some interesting quotes I really like. And uh, one of my favorites is, uh, every photo is the truth and every photo is a lie. Uh, and um, so I'd like to know more about what goes on inside his head that way. Yeah. Um, quick follow-up question to that. Um, have you ever had a, a photography apprentice? Have you ever had someone tag along wanting to learn more about photography? Have you ever been a mentor? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I've had people shoot races with me, um, people, you know, and some of your races and, uh, there was a process around that. It wasn't just, here's a camera and go shoot, shoot some pictures. Uh, and, um, uh, one of those persons also has done some modeling. And so we made some photos, but in the context of that, we talked about photography. Um, and, um, I also, it's not really an apprentice thing, but like I do some things in the local school here. In local elementary school, a very small elementary school in my little town. And um, I go in and we talk about photography and art teacher goes to my website and kids ask questions and it's super fun. And then we make portraits of the kids. Um, and uh, so, uh, but yeah, I've done some, I've done some of that stuff. Um, mm. Never had like a formal contractual, you're my intern kind of arrangement. But. 
Uh, yeah, kind of sort of interesting to be on the on the other side of that. Uh, all right, random question number two. <laughs> so this this is purely based on 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 my observation of your social media feed, but you you seem to be a coffee shop connoisseur. Mm. Right? What's your favorite place? Of all of the places that you that you have grabbed a cup of coffee, what's your favorite place to grab a cup of Java? Uh, well, gosh, Chris, it's so regional. Um, <laughs> and it's such like the sense of place of the coffee shop, and you know, so sure could, account for all of that, Joe. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I can give you one. Um, like my living here, my go-to is Frontside Grind in North Conway. Uh, and I'm working for myself, and I'm sure you can relate to this. You get sick of your own four walls, and so I'll grab my laptop and I'll go to Frontside Grind and sit outside and enjoy an afternoon coffee and do some work outside. So that you know, your neck of the woods, Adele's in Dover is very nice. Love Adele's, kind of punk rock atmosphere, good place. All right. And what if uh, I, I know you travel occasionally to, to the Canada, uh, <laughs> if you are traveling to the Canada, uh, uh, <laughs> if you could visit one coffee shop in Canada, where is where are you going? I, I, I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> I'm looking for poutine when I go to Canada. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay. I, all right. That is that poutine is noted for our next podcast yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fair. Uh, but that, uh, <laughs> that, well, you know, go, if you go to Canada from here, you go through Littleton and there's a place in Littleton called Crumb Bar that will blow your mind for coffee and flaky things. Crumb Bar. Crumb Bar. Yeah. Actually, comes back to mountain running. Heath Brewer? Of course I know Heath. His girlfriend works at Crumb Bar. She's a baker. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Okay. Very interesting tie uh, into mountain running. Well done, Joe. Uh, all right. <laughs> Third random question for Joe Vijay. Um, and, 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 and I'm going to have you pick uh, a, a moment maybe that you haven't talked about. Um, Joe, what's your most memorable or what is another memorable sports photography moment? Do you have another sports photography story uh, that you like to tell, one that you haven't told yet? Uh, they're all my children, Chris. It's so hard. No, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the Emma Washington story is a great one. The Cranmore story is a great one. So those, those are keep coming back to my mind. Um, uh, you know, Josh Farrant moment on Mount Washington was amazing. Um, you know, I that's awfully hard. I, I just, I'm thinking of a lot of different photos when I, when you say that. Um, it's hard to put the finger on one. Like, but you know, there's a, a photo you might be familiar with where um, uh, Matt Byrne passed Simon Gutierrez on the turn at the top of the wall. And I happened to be around that corner and got a pretty dramatic picture of Matt Burns' face and Simon Gutierrez behind. And, um, and then I guess Simon passed Matt behind after he had passed me. Uh, but that moment was was pretty amazing to see, and the photo was pretty remarkable to, to have been part of. Um, uh, you know, every time I shoot Joe Gray at Mount Washington is memorable because he's just amazing, you know. And, I've had the good fortune to have done that from the, re the retractable roof electric car for a few years. So 
you know, the reality is I've done, I did that, didn't have, that they sold the car, no more car. So I couldn't shoot out of the electric car this year, but I think I did that four years in a row. And um, you know, the reality is above a certain point, three miles, Joe's out ahead of everybody. And it's me and him <laughs> for, for four more miles, taking pictures of Joe. Uh, or little videos, you know, I posted some little cell phone videos of him running up above tree line. That's pretty memorable. That's pretty crazy to see that happening. And yeah. Here's breathing, his footfall, and, and his arm movement is a very distinctive arm movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quick, yeah. Quick follow up question to that because uh, you actually got me thinking about something. Um, in those moments, uh, you know, previous to the, to the auto road selling the electric car. But, um, so you're, you know, you're popping out of the sunroof of the electric car and, uh, you know, you're just in front of Joe gray as he has already gapped the field yeah. and it's, it's you and the driver of the electric car and Joe gray. Right. Um, do you ever feel intrusive, uh, at, at times? Um, um, I mean, I mean, I know that, you know, you're not, you're not getting in the way, obviously but but how do you how do you balance capturing the moment without affecting the athlete's performance with your presence is that maybe that's a horrible question but do, do no, you get where i'm going there good question um uh a, a little bit circles back to relationship you know, yeah when we're talking about being part of the community and people knowing me um i feel like people trust me to be there like they know I'm not going to start waving my arms and doing crazy stuff. Um, and I think they let me or are comfortable with me being in places they might not be comfortable with other people being. Um, you know, like um, there was one year, um, I can't remember if it was you or Paul, but like I sat down in the middle of the snowshoe start about 20 yards out. It was a wide, like 25 yard wide line of people. And they, you guys announced, like, Joe's just going to sit there. You guys just run around him. You know, and, and so, um, and people did. It was a cool picture. Uh, this stampede. It was kind of scary, actually. <laughs> I was like, why did I do this? Yeah, the start <laughs> of a snowshoe race can sometimes be deafening with the yeah. snowshoes clomping on the ground. Yeah, it's a, it's a thundering yeah. herd for sure. Yeah. But um, so, and, you know, I think Joe, back to your original question, though, Joe is, is a unique person, and he's very um, – I find within himself when he runs and he, you know, when he competes even before he's kind of in his own place. And so, and he's usually pushing very hard. And, and so, um, yeah, I'm just looking for cues to be respectful and be in the place that makes sense. And, and as far as I can tell, it's okay. You know, Joe and I have a good relationship when we see each other and uh, I take that as confirmation. I'm doing all right. Um, you know, he, well, he, he occasionally asks me questions, you know, like, like how far back or something like that um, or, or whatever. Um, well, but, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think to your point about relationships, it comes down to communication, right? I mean, you, uh, you knowing Joe and Joe knowing you, uh, I'm sure if Joe was not comfortable um, with the proximity of, of how you were capturing the moment, after the fact, he might have come up to you and pulled you aside and said, "Hey, you know, yeah. I, I totally yeah. get that, that, and I appreciate you being there and 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 capturing me and the moment. Um, but 
you know, next time is it, you know, would it be possible if you could just give me a little bit more space or maybe, uh, you know, maybe limit the time that you're shooting to a few minutes and then move on. Like, do, do you feel like, do you feel like he would, he would feel comfortable coming up to you and telling you that? I'm sure Joe Gray would be very comfortable telling me that. But, you know, now that you're saying that, and I hadn't really thought of this, but I actually, when we first started shooting out of the electric car, I actually went to Joe and told him we were going to do that. Um, and I, I actually said to him, pardon my French, I, I said, look, if this is causing a problem, literally just say fuck off and I will get the hell away from you. Like, I don't miss any words. Don't, you don't have to be subtle about it. Tell me what you need to tell me to get the work to move. I don't want to be anything that affects the story of this race. You know, and I never do. You know, the story of the race is the race, not me. So, yeah, um, I, I forgot I had that chat with him um, when we first started doing that because it was a bunch of years ago now. But, um, yeah, I would tell anybody that. So, you know, not just Joe Gray. I don't care mm-hmm. who it is. If I'm in your way, tell me. Um, yeah, I, I, I think about that, particularly as it relates to uh, – um, like the, the Tour de France, like every time yeah. I watch the tour and, and, and you watch the, uh, you know, the, 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 the camera crews that are, that are flying around on those little, those little sport, little mini bikes, yeah. uh, wh- whatever, whatever they're called, right. With the, with the cameraman sitting back to back with the driver, mm-hmm. uh, somehow must be, they must be tethered <laughs> to the machine or to the, or to the driver. Uh, and they're weaving in and out of, of, of the cyclist, right. Um, I mean, in order to capture the moment, but to me, I mean, that oftentimes seems intrusive, like and sometimes literally the, you know, the, the camera crew, the film crew does get in the way uh, and, and, and does cause a problem. I just it, it, it it's you don't necessarily always have the opportunity you know, to be that close to the competition. Typically, you're you know, you're sitting alongside the course and shooting it. But but the Mount Washington Road Race is a is, it's an interesting comp to the Tour de France because like literally you are in the action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, generally, I've never felt like I was putting myself in a position that was compromising or, or affecting anything. Only, there's only one time, there was at Cranmore, uh, when it was a national champ, um, and it was when it finished on the summit that year, it was NACAC as well, and um, for the men's start, I, I like to shoot on an inside corner because people come around and they're coming at you as they come around a corner. And so I love to shoot a wide angle on an inside corner. And so I posted up at an inside corner, 100 yards out of the start or something. And I was in the tall grass. And I was close, but I was in the tall grass. And I knew I'd be, I thought I'd be fine. And for the first 20 people, I was fine. But then all of a sudden, I, you know, the, the field had spread out, and they were coming through the tall grass, and they weren't going to hit me. And they were, and I was very visible because, you know, I was there, but. At the same time, I was shooting low, and I, I remember in that moment, like, I need to scoot in and, you know, get deeper in the tall grass here because the field is is cutting that corner much more sharply than I would have anticipated. That was really the only, other, only time I can remember in all these years feeling like I'm not in a good spot. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a matter of capturing the story and not becoming the story. Right. Joe, listen, this conversation has been has been amazing. I'm so appreciative of you uh, setting aside some time to uh, talk with me. Thank you very much. Oh, likewise. Thank you. Really fun. It's easy to see why Joe is the best in the business. His personal connection to his subject matter comes through in the images he creates. 
And remember what he said. The next time you run or ride by him at a race, make sure to look at the camera. Well, if you liked what you heard, please consider giving the show a follow. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.